Father, thank you for uh, just this time that we can gather and we can be with the church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can open your word and be taught by you. And we just ask for understanding. Uh, we ask that by your spirit, you would um, convict us and impress um, these truths into our heart. Uh, yeah, we, we acknowledge that your word um, is relevant, that it teaches us wisdom, and uh, that we often don't have the ears to hear. Um, and we need to be reminded over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, use this time now for that purpose. Uh, for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Uh, for this fall, we're going to be preaching through just various topics that we hope will be helpful in preparing you for this school year. Uh, topics that we hope will uh, be useful in just grounding you as college students, as maturing believers through the ups and downs of college life. And we started that last week for the first couple of messages. We wanted to talk about some of the foundations, um, just some of the, the super foundational convictions that we hope that you will have in place. And uh, we're going to do that for last week and then this week. And then for the next few weeks, we're going to move on to just some of the regular rhythms of the Christian life. So day to day, week to week, what ought to characterize what the Christian life looks like. Um, and last time we talked about the foundational conviction of having a high view of God, right? That what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, as A.W. Tozer says. And for tonight, our, our second foundational conviction that we'll be talking about is a focus on the heart. Okay, focus on the heart. Now, whether it feels like it or not, your years in college are going to go by quickly. And I think something that is unique about college, maybe more than like any other season of your life, is that during your college years, Many of you are going to make very significant uh, decisions, formative decisions that will drastically impact your future. So things like, what are you going to do as a career? Or where will you live? Or who are the kinds of people that you will surround yourself with? Or even, like, what are your hobbies and your passions? Uh, many of you will make decisions that will uh, ripple into your future and might determine what life in the future might look like. And before you know it, your life might look very different than when you started, right? When you started as a freshman. And even more than that, by the time that you're done, you will also have changed yourself. You will be a different person by the time that you walk across the stage at graduation. And that's not a, a bad or a good thing necessarily. That's just an observation, right? That's just a reality of life. The question is, what kind of person are you becoming? Right? What kind of person are you being formed into? Uh, when I think about my own time in college, and of course hindsight's 2020, 20, uh, and I have more clarity now looking back, uh, but when I think about my time in college and just like going through some of the things that you guys are going through right now, I wish that I paid more attention to my own heart. Uh, and it's not that I like didn't think about it at all, it's not that I ignored it completely, but I don't think that I really assigned it as much importance and consideration as God's word does. Like, I feel like oftentimes my mentality in college was like, I just need to get through this thing, right? Or just like uh, on to the next thing, whether it's the next weekend or the next thing I need to study for or the next hangout. Maybe you guys can relate to that, right? That kind of mentality. I just need to get through the end of this week of midterms and then I can sleep, right? Or I just need to have this like hard, awkward conversation with this person and then I can just forget about it. I can just put it behind me. 
It was easy for, to just be fixated and focused on specific circumstances, on specific issues or decisions, or even just doing things. And I don't think I truly understood that every part of my life, from my friendships, to dating, to academics, to church life, to involvement uh, in my on-campus ministry, to my free time, to my future, these weren't just simply like different isolated compartments of my life, but these were contexts where my heart played out. And sure, I, like, I might have gone to the other side of whatever it was, right? Like I'm standing here right now, and college was a long time ago. Um, I might have gone to the other side of whatever that was, whether it's like something small and ordinary, like the end of a long week, or whether it was something uh, more significant, like a big decision about the future. But I think not paying enough attention to my own heart meant that I missed out on opportunities for God to grow me and to teach me. Right? I think there are certain things that came up over and over again that I just never dealt with. College student, what does God want to do in your life during these important years? Like, what is he truly most concerned about? Well, we already gave away the answer. Right? He, he wants your heart. He is most concerned about your heart. The answer to that question that we asked earlier, what kind of person are you becoming? The answer to that is shaped, it's determined by how your heart is. Now, we're going to mention a few different scripture passages throughout this message, but the theme verse for tonight is Proverbs 4.23. It's just one verse. Um, it's printed on your handouts, actually. Um, and it's short, it's simple, it's not hard to understand. But I think if we have this foundational conviction, if we really remind ourselves of this, if we really believe this and live it out, then whatever happens, I think you'll be in good shape. It says this in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In that verse, we get uh, an exhortation, and then we get an explanation, right? And uh, we get a, a command and a reason. And so we'll kind of take it in two parts like that, except we'll go backwards. We'll start with the reason first, and then we'll talk about the command. Okay, so our first point is the heart, the wellspring of life. Now, if you've been here at Lighthouse, you know that there is like a catalog of things that we tend to talk about a lot, right? So we talk about like food, we talk about sports, um, we talk about the South Bay, uh, we talk about like parenting and family, um, suffering comes up a lot. I feel like we can make like a family feud question out of this, right? Just like, what do we talk about at Lighthouse? And probably at least top five in that is we talk about worship, idolatry, and the heart, right? So this is something that's familiar to us. I, I know like we could probably define what the heart is, um, but what is it? The Bible talks about the heart a lot, actually over a thousand times, and, and this goes without saying, but it's not talking about like that vital organ that, that pumps blood to the rest of our body. Right? It's talking about your inner person. Uh, and I think we get that because we, we use heart in that way in our everyday language. Right? We talk, uh, like that person, we say, oh, she has a, a big heart, right? she cares for people, or uh, we see, oh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Right? He like, shows his emotions a lot. Um, we associate this word with a person's desires, passions, feelings, emotions. And that's how the Bible talks about it as well. In fact, I think the Bible's picture of heart is even a bit more comprehensive than, than that. Uh, for us, we tend to separate like, um, our, our mind and our heart. But the Bible actually often lumps them together. So your heart isn't just your feelings, your desires, your emotions, but it's also your mind and also your will. Your heart is the command center of your life. It is why you do what you do. 
Your heart is the things that you want, the thoughts that you think, the beliefs that you hold about life and how life should work. Uh, Tim Keller defines it like this. He says, The heart is the seat of your deepest trust, commitments, and loves. What the heart most loves and trusts, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. And so if you want to like boil it down even more simply, the heart has to do with worship. And we talk about that all the time. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, that what you treasure, that's where your heart is. What you treasure, that's where your heart is. What you treasure most is going to be what your, your life revolves around. Right? It's going to be what your thoughts and your desires are consumed with. It's going to be what motivates your actions. What you treasure is what you worship. And, and that's how our hearts operate. Right? And that's how God wired us because we were created to worship him. And as we learned here at Lighthouse, if, if your heart latches onto anything other than God, then we call that idolatry. Now, if you think about just this truth here in Proverbs 4.23, right, there's this like profound sense of simplicity and just singularity to this. And I don't think it's being reductionistic. It's not being overly simplistic. But our verse says that you can connect the dots of your life, so to speak. Right? When you look at every area of your life, you can connect the dots. You can trace it back to your heart. Now, if you think about, like, just think about all of the different aspects of your life. Right? Think about all the different experiences, the, the ordinary moments you might encounter in a week. Think about the various conversations that you have with people. It's, it's the same heart that plays out in all of those contexts. Whatever you worship, wherever your heart is, comes out in your attitudes, in your motives, in your emotions, in your behavior. As our verse says, from your heart, flows the springs of life. And I think that's a pretty simple idea for us to understand. But two specific things I want to talk about in light of this. One is a focus on the heart shows us God's highest priority, and then a focus on the heart shows us our greatest problem. I think often we forget this, this very simple truth, because we're more focused on the stuff that's on the outside than what's on the inside. Right? And this is not anything new. God, in his word, speaks to this tendency repeatedly. Um, for example, in 1 Samuel 16, in that passage, God sends the prophet Nathan to Jesse um, to find a new king because God has rejected Saul. And so he sends uh, Nathan to find the new replacement for Saul. And uh, Jesse sends seven of his sons in front of Nathan. And God chooses David. Right? God chooses a son who didn't even get a look in front of Nathan because he was the youngest and because he was out keeping the sheep. And in that passage, we get this famous verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Uh, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so even Samuel, right, even the prophet of God, was ready to buy into the world's standard, to, was ready to buy into the world's rubric of what was impressive. And it's not that, that outward appearance is bad or unimportant, Actually, if you look in that passage, it mentions David's out, like outer uh, appearance. Right? It says that Davy, or, or David was ruddy, um, which I have to look up what it means. It means that he had a healthy red color in his face. And, but he was ruddy. He had beautiful eyes. Uh, he was handsome. But the problem is when we get that twisted, right? when we get it reversed, when those things, our outward appearance, hold more importance to us than what's actually most important to God. I mean, many of you are on Instagram. 
um, or be real. Some of you were just doing your be real like a couple minutes ago. You don't need to look around. Don't feel guilty. Um, or many of you are on social media where like, you can carefully, carefully curate your online image and presence. Um, people can perceive you a, a certain way. You can have a certain reputation in the eyes of others based on the clothes that you wear or based on your qualifications on your resume or based on the people that you just surround yourself with. What does it mean that God's highest priority is the heart? What means that he doesn't see as man sees? He doesn't judge things based on an outward appearance. I think another obvious example of this that we see in Scripture is the Pharisees. I mean, when we think of the Pharisees, we can have this like, uh, like caricaturized version of them because every time that we encounter them in the Bible, Jesus is rebuking them. Right? They're like Jesus' enemies. They're, Jesus is always like rebuking them for their hypocrisy, for their superficial religion. Um, he says that they are people who honor God with their lips but whose heart is far from him. Now, I think for us, first of all, we have to realize that these Pharisees were the model citizens, okay? that they were the religious people. They were the people that you would see at church on Sundays. They were the people who had good theology. And so they were, they're a lot more like us than we realize. And these Pharisees, they wanted to present themselves a certain way in front of others, right? They wanted to, uh, Jesus rebukes them for saying, like, you practice your religion, you're praying out in public because you want to be seen by others. They want others to say of them, wow, look at him, look at her, like, he's so holy and religious, or she serves so much, or he knows so much about the Bible. But here's also the second idea that I want to talk about. A focus on the heart shows us our greatest problem, right? So it wasn't just, like, horizontal, but it was also vertical. These Pharisees wanted to present themselves in a certain way before God. They genuinely thought that God approved of them based on their good works. Um, in Mark 7, there's this uh, encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are getting upset uh, in that passage at some of Jesus' disciples because it says that they were eating with unwashed hands. Okay, And uh, what it's talking about there is not like, they literally were not washing their hands. We should all wash our hands. That's a good sanitary practice before we eat. But they're talking about this like ritual, ceremonial kind of thing, right? They, they thought that uh, because they came from the marketplace, which they considered unclean, uh, that they were defiled. And so they had to do this like ceremonial, like washing their hands before they ate. They thought that that would cleanse them from defilement. And in their minds, this is what the Pharisees, or this is, in the Pharisees' minds, this is what God cared about. They thought, okay, this is what made them clean. This is what made them acceptable before God. But what does Jesus say in that passage? Mark 7, 20 to 23. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, uh, coveting wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, notice in Jesus' response, he doesn't say, oh, these disciples, they don't need to wash their hands, right? It's not a big deal, which was true. No, Jesus says, if you want to talk about being unclean, if you want to talk about defilement, your defilement is actually far worse than you think. It's not just a matter of washing your hands, because that's just on the outside. Right? Your defilement comes from the heart. You see, we can only talk about getting to the heart. We can only talk about this priority of the heart, paying attention to our hearts for so long 
before we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize the problem with our hearts. But if we focus at our hearts, if we really look at our hearts, what do we see? If we're really honest, what's in there? Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what we see. That's a picture of our hearts, and that describes all of us. It describes the Pharisees, it describes us too. And that's why the Pharisees' religion and good works was never good enough, because the problem was from within. And even our best works, maybe you can relate to this, even the best works that you do can be poisoned, can be tainted with like self-seeking motives. And so the solution needs to start from the inside. Right? The solution that you need is a new heart. And when you look in Scripture, that is exactly what God did. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26, it says that in the new covenant, that God promises to remove the heart of stone and to replace it with a heart of flesh. That God gives us new hearts with the ability to obey and to please God. God gives us the, a new heart so that we have this new disposition, a new inclination, a new ability to fight sin, and even the desire to do so. And what does that show us? Well, it shows us that it's always been about changing our hearts first and foremost. Right? Even from the very beginning, even from the beginning of the Christian life, from salvation, it's always been about changing our hearts. It's not about our circumstances. It's not about changing our emotions or our feelings. It's not our, about our behavior. It's not about other people need to change. No, God's always been in the business of changing our hearts first and foremost. I think this, this truth of uh, the new covenant, these new hearts of flesh, it also means that every good desire that you have, even if it feels weak, even if it feels small, that every good desire that you have is there because God put it there. And that it is evidence of God's good work in you. And by God's grace, Jeremiah 17, 9, that verse that we just read, that the heart is desperately sick, who can understand it? It's deceitful. That that verse doesn't characterize us and describe us like how it did before we knew God. Right? Things are different. Rather, when you look in the rest of Scripture, it says, for example, Romans 6, 17, it says, Thanks be to God that we who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. Our Hebrews 10, 22, it says, We can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Right? So our hearts have been changed because of God. And yet even with these new desires, even with these new inclinations, there's still remaining sin. Right? So it's not like we don't experience that reality. And so if one danger is failing to pay enough attention to our hearts, right? just thinking, oh, it's all about the outside, or these things are all like uh, apart from me, right? just separate categories in my life. If one danger is failing to pay attention uh, enough to your heart, then I think another danger is simply doing whatever your heart wants. Just doing whatever you feel like in the name of being authentic or being genuine. And when you think about society, when you think about what people encourage you to do, like, that's totally the message, isn't it? In fact, it's like oppressive even to suggest otherwise, that you, that you shouldn't be true to yourself. God's word shows us that there should be this healthy and appropriate caution. And I think like even distrust, 
distrust, you know, to our own hearts. Now, I'm not saying that you need to, like, second-guess yourself all the time. Uh, we can have mixed motives. We can have genuine desires to please God, and yet we can have sinful desires to live for ourselves. Right? And those are intermixed in our hearts. We have to be honest about the deceitfulness of sin and humble before God's word, which often calls us not to do just whatever we feel like doing. So are you getting the picture of just how critical, how important the heart is? It is the wellspring of your life, that everything else flows out of it. And yet, apart from the grace of God, our hearts are evil, they are wicked, they are desperately sick, they're unable to obey God, they're not wanting to have anything to do with him. Your heart is so important to God that by his grace, if you are a Christian, he gave you a new one. Because that is what it took. Not just external behavior modification, but inward heart transformation. And so if this is what Scripture teaches us about our hearts, then what must we do with them? This is our second point. Keep your heart. Keep your heart or guard your heart. Because your heart is this reservoir, this spring out of which flows the rest of your life, then our verse says you must keep your heart with all vigilance. Um, Or NIV translation, it says, above all else, guard your heart. They guard your heart. Um, Unfortunately, I think the way that we use that phrase, guard your heart, most often these days is, especially in our circles, is we talk about dating, right? We talk about like romantic relationships. Like guard your heart by don't text that guy or girl too much, right? Like that's how you guard your heart. And that's that's like that's a way of guarding your heart. Um, But this phrase, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance is strong language. It's military language. The picture that should come to mind is a soldier like defending his post against attack. A soldier at his post uh, watching for the enemy. And this is much more than just pay attention. Right? I think that was kind of what we were saying in our first point, like pay attention to the heart. There's, there's something deeper, right? Pay attention to the heart. But I think this is even more than that. I, I think here at Lighthouse, we've been trained well to be able to identify our idols uh, but I think, like, unfortunately, sometimes it just stops there, right? Like, we pay attention, we know what, what we desire, what idols we struggle with, and, like, that's it. Like, we kind of just stop there. Here, this is not just talking about some general awareness, but a call to action, right? A call to serious watchfulness and urgency. It says, take steps to guard your heart. Like, do whatever it takes to keep your heart uh, for me, I like to follow a few sports teams pretty closely, and um, I don't have time to watch every single game of the season that happens, but most of the time, I think pretty much like after every game, I will at least, at the very least, pull out my phone later that day, open my ESPN app, and then check the score. Right? And sometimes I'll do that after I preach at Beacon, <laughs> and I'll just look at who won, right? what happened during the game. And uh, like I'm paying enough attention to the teams that I follow, and it's on my mind enough to know that, okay, there's a game going on, even if I'm not watching it. And it's on my mind enough where, okay, I'm going to check the score. But whatever the result is, like whatever team won, it's not like I can do anything about it. Right? I'm, not, I'm not playing for the team. I can't text the coach and be like, hey, like, you should bench this guy. Like, it's just information. right? Like, it's on my mind, but I can't do anything about it. Now, think about how you react to... Uh, the final score of a sports game versus how you react to lights on your dashboard or like numbers in your bank account. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but when I'm driving and a light just pops up on my dashboard, I'm like suddenly super stressed because I, I don't know how to do anything with cars and I don't know what the problem is. And I just like fear for the worst. Right? And so I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, should I pull over? Do I need to bring in my, my car to the mechanic? Like what maintenance do I need to do? I'm going to make it to my destination or do I have to like, I'm going to be stranded on the side of the freeway. Uh, or I think about like the day traders on Wall Street, right? That the New York Stock Exchange and Really, I have no idea what they're actually doing. I just know it's like really, uh, like it's a, like really frantic in there. But uh, they're like constantly like monitoring the money in their accounts. They're watching literally minute by minute the stock market. They are buying and selling. They're they're acting with all vigilance. I think that's a more accurate picture that we should be thinking about. I mean, what else in your life do you keep and guard and protect? Well, we guard our health. Right, by, by wearing a mask or washing your hands or by eating a proper diet or by exercising. We guard our finances by budgeting or investing or making sound decisions. We guard our reputation, um, our important possessions, our loved ones. We don't want anything harmful or bad to happen to those things. College students, you guys, you, you guard your grades. You guard your academic record. When midterms or finals are coming up, and especially if you're behind and you need to cram, like, you prioritize your studying time at the expense of other important things, right? No hanging out, uh, maybe sacrificing sleep or personal hygiene or, like, eating, like, a, a full balanced meal. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, more than any of those things, guard your heart. Because it's more important. Because if your heart is bad, then everything else will be affected as well. How do we do this? I think the rest of Proverbs 4 helps to give us a good picture. Throughout the book of Proverbs, it's this like imagery of a father imparting wisdom to a son. And you can kind of just like feel just the father's desire for his son. He says, don't forsake my teaching. Like hold tightly to it. We see that at the beginning of chapter 4 as well. He says, get wisdom. Get insight. Don't forget. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake wisdom, and she will keep you. Love wisdom, and she will guard you. And then the verses right after um, our verse, in Proverbs 4, 24 to 27, it says that if it's true that out of your heart flows the springs of life, then you need to take comprehensive inventory of every area of your life. And then he goes on to give like different uh, like body parts, right? different parts of our life. He says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And so these different areas of our lives are not only mirrors, they're not only reflections of what's going on in our heart, like we've been saying, but they're also places where we can be influenced. Right, where we take in stuff, where our hearts can be shaped and formed, and so we need to guard them. Now, here's just a, a few more questions I think that are helpful for us to ask. One is just, are you getting beneath the surface? And what we're really asking here is, do you even know what to look for? Right, do we mistakenly look to other things as vital signs for the health of our hearts? Do we look to things like church attendance or serving or theological knowledge, or, or the friends or groups that we're associated with? Do we even look at like spiritual growth that we have experienced in the past as like this vital sign? Oh, this, yeah, this, I'm doing well, right? Because like this is what happened to me in like junior high at retreat. 
Right? Are we looking at the right signs? I mean, th- those are all good things, but we can mistakenly point to those things as the wrong barometers for our current spiritual health. On your notes, uh, I've included what we call x-ray questions. They come from David Pallison. Uh, and, and the point of these questions, as you can maybe tell from the name, is they help us to get beneath the surface. And they ask things like, what are your loves, desires, cravings, fears, worries? Who do you look to? Who do you depend on? Uh, who do you feel like you need to please? I mean, all of those questions help us to get to the level of worship and the heart. And if you notice, as you go through these questions, if you notice a common theme in your answers, then perhaps that's an idol that's taken the place of Christ. When it comes to your regular confession of sin and, and repentance, does it get beneath the surface? Right? Repentance is not just changing your behavior, but it's changing your heart and your mind. And so when you're confessing sin to God, does the language of desire and worship and love find its way into how you describe your sin? Um, I mentioned earlier about that temptation to just have this, like, I just need to get through this kind of attitude. Right? And to be clear, like, this is not just limited to college life. Okay? This is like every season of life. I think you see that, especially when things are especially busy or crazy. Um, I think of like major transitions or uh, just like going through a trial or suffering or just a relational conflict with someone. Or even like parenting young children, which is a really crazy, sleepless season. And that mentality can just be, okay, I just need to get to the other side of this. The reality is if you never get beneath the surface, if you never actually end up addressing whatever heart issue those circumstances might have brought up, then you won't have real lasting change. Right? Things might be calm. Things might be better for a little bit. You might feel better in terms of your emotions. But the next time pressure comes, the next time something brings that out again, right? it'll just show itself again. So change is not easy or fast, but it starts with getting beneath the surface. It starts with getting to the heart. I think one more quick thought before we move on to our next question. I think this, this helps us think through how we love and counsel other people too. Right? And this, this is not just for the sake of our own self-examination. Um, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Right? Our hearts are like these deep wells. And it says a man of understanding, a man uh, who, who wants to love and care for people well, will take time to draw that water out. When you look at issues that other people might be experiencing, or if a friend comes to you with a struggle, getting beneath the surface means that we take time to understand. And you want to know a first step of how you understand, you ask good questions. Because it's not just on the outside, right? Just like we want to do with ourselves, we want to get to the heart. So we take time to draw that water out. Um, Second question is, are you regularly tending to the health of your heart? Think about how you're supposed to just regularly maintain and tend to your physical health, right? By by staying hydrated, by drinking enough water, uh, by getting enough vitamins, by having this properly balanced diet, by getting enough exercise. That, That regular kind of care is important for your spiritual health as well. And it's not just the big moments, the crisis moments, but it's everyday discipleship and faithfulness. And this involves playing both defense and offense. For example, do you know what your weaknesses and temptations are? Like if you have identified your personal idolatries using those x-ray questions, do you know your own heart well enough to know what is unhealthy for it? 
Um, for me, I'm ex encouraged by examples of people who have been just super humble, super thoughtful about their own hearts when it comes to things like social media use or uh, even like online dating apps. Right? And uh, some people use them. Some people take a long time to think about it, and they decide to use it. Other people choose to refrain entirely. But it, I, I think like those examples are just uh, examples to me of being honest with your own tendencies, your own weaknesses, and making a wise and sometimes hard decision. There's no black or white answer for it, right? But you have to be honest with your own heart. Right? You have to sometimes make, what is, uh, make a decision that's wise and hard, even if it goes against what seems harmless or normal. But it's not just all avoidance. It's not, it's not just all defense. Are you pursuing, cultivating, and nurturing a love for God? And how do we do that? Well, God's word gives us or God gives us various means of grace, right? Things like his word or prayer or the church or accountability. God gives us those things to keep up our spiritual health. And we're going to talk about some of these things in the coming weeks, these rhythms that, that ought to be present in our lives as believers. But let's just think about Sunday morning, for example, right? What happens on a Sunday morning when you gather together with the rest of the church? Well, we sing, right? We have musical worship, and musical worship is meant to stir our affections, to, to stir our affections of our hearts to love God and to sing praises about him. Or what about preaching, right? Regularly sitting under faithful biblical preaching is allowing the living and active word of God to test and discern our thoughts and intentions of our heart, Hebrews 4.12. And by the way, that's why we aim to preach at the heart. That's why we don't preach like moralistic sermons, like five steps to an anxiety-free life, right? Or like three steps to be a better person. And we preach to the heart and we preach Christ, Think about what we do when we gather corporately and, and when we are in fellowship. It guards us from the hardness of heart and deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.13. It puts us in position to be stirred up and compelled to love and good, deed, uh, good deeds through the encouragement of others, Hebrews 10.24 and 25. Charles Spurgeon once said this, that the same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. That, that is uh, a sobering statement to think about, isn't it? That over-familiarity is dangerous. If our hearts are not tender, if they are not soft and ready, something is still happening to them. Right? It's not like we just like left them entirely at home. No, they're being shaped for better or for worse. And so if all of that is true, if these are all the things that God has given to us to maintain our spiritual health, then when you come to church each week, do you think to yourself, like, I really, really need this. I need this for my heart. I need this for the sake of my spiritual health. Last question is this. Are you remembering the process? Um, we mentioned the new covenant very briefly earlier, that, that God gives us these new hearts of flesh to replace our hearts of stone, um, that he writes the law on our hearts so we have this new ability and desire to obey. Well, in 2 Corinthians 3, um, the Apostle Paul is comparing these two covenants. He's talking about the superiority of the new covenant and this inferiority of the old covenant. And he says that that experience of this new, unveiled, transformed heart is a process. In verse 18, uh, we've mentioned this verse uh, before. He says that that process happens from one degree of glory to the next. Right? We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. In other words, God is still in the process of working on your heart. That there is still change that needs to take place. And I, I think many of us would acknowledge that intellectually, that we're not perfect, 
that there's still areas that, that uh, we want to grow. Right? Maybe you can identify like a couple specific areas you want to grow this year. But then when things happen that actually confront you with that change, that actually require you to change, I think oftentimes we're like, wait, like, I didn't sign up for this. Right? Like, I don't want this. Uh, some of you guys were over at my house a few weeks ago, and uh, when we bought that house uh, a year and a half ago, it didn't look like that. And uh, even when we got it from the original owners, we, we knew from the very beginning we wanted to remodel, and we had like, a picture in our minds what we wanted it to look like in the end. Um, but of course, that meant a lot of work had to be done. Right? That meant remodeling. That meant demolition and construction and repainting and installing new cabinets. It meant not being able to move in right away. It meant like, still having a lot of stuff packed up in our boxes. But we, but we weren't surprised that we had to like, go through that process. Right? We weren't like, hey, like, why are these guys coming into our house and like, breaking everything down? Like, why are these guys taking a sledgehammer and just like, breaking a, wall, a hole in our wall? Right? We, that didn't catch us by surprise. Why? Because we knew that this was part of the process of remodeling. And yet, for many of us, we are surprised when God comes in with something that is unexpected or challenging, and that's part of the work that he still wants to do in us. And when you come face-to-face with your own sin and the ugly parts of your heart are revealed, does that catch you by surprise? Like, do you think to yourself, like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I can't believe like, this is happening to me. No, that shouldn't catch us by surprise because God is still doing something in your heart. You're still in process. And so knowing that, do you welcome those things that draw out what's inside? If your greatest danger isn't challenging circumstances or other people or anything outside of it, outside of you, if your greatest danger is the sin in your heart, then it's good that those things are dealt with. Right? It is for the sake of your joy. When you, think, when you go to the doctor and there's something wrong inside, it's better that they find something on the scan than, than not find it at all. Right? Because you can begin to treat it. And so knowing all of that, do we welcome those things that draw out the places in our hearts where God still wants to work? Do others have permission to speak honestly to you about your heart? Do you humbly seek outside perspective and counsel and even correction, recognizing that your heart can be deceptive and that you do have blind spots? Do we welcome trials and suffering if God would deem it necessary? in his wisdom and in his kindness towards us. Um, I remember Rubens led worship like a couple weeks ago, and he was like, I don't know if you guys caught this, he prayed like, God, make us humble, right? Like oppose our pride and make life hard for us until we're humble, something like that. Like, man, that is like a crazy prayer, right? But that's what God does. God uses trials and suffering to humble us, right? To, To change us, to grow us more like Christ. Suffering shows us what we really treasure in our hearts. And what makes suffering hard isn't always just the circumstances themselves, but it's because the things that we treasure are taken away. But it's through suffering that God turns our hearts back to Christ. So when, when that, those hard times come, do you try your best to avoid it? To, to get out of it? Or do you embrace it? Do you remember the process? Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Now, as we close, I don't want you to think of this just as like another item on your to-do list, right? Another thing that like good Christians should do. Now, this is the most important thing. And so how is your heart tonight? 
Right? Like, don't just rush past that question. This is the mo- one of the most important things you must do. It is for your joy. It is for the sake of your relationship with God. So he calls you to pay attention to your hearts, for from it flows the springs of life. Let's pray. God, we confess that we need your help. Uh, we confess that we, our hearts are uh, desperately sick apart from you, that they are wicked, that they are deceived. And we thank you that by your grace, uh, you have given us new hearts. You have replaced our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh, that we might have the ability, the desire to obey you. And even though that is true, Lord, you still call us to a watchfulness of our hearts now. God, help us, help these college students to really make that their conviction, that Every area of their life is an opportunity for them to understand their own hearts better. God, we thank you that by your spirit, you are doing a work that is still in process. That as we obey you, as we look to you, as we remind ourselves of this truth and pay attention to the work that you are doing, that you are making our hearts uh, better. You are making our hearts more pure. And uh, we can look forward to one day when our hearts will be completely without sin, that they will be able to be in perfect, unhindered fellowship before you. Father, I pray that uh, you would really instill this conviction in all of us, Lord, um, by your spirit. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.